Chapter 16 of Ruffles and Danny, or The Responsibility of Ruffles, by Marjorie Watson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 I say, Miss Ruth, it's positively painful, you know, this, uh, spasm of unseasonable energy. I shouldn't think you'd like to be the cause of upsetting a fellow's peace of mind in this fashion. Richard nibbled indolently at a blade of grass he had just reached out to pull. Ruth gave him a merry glance of inspection over her shoulder. Then turning again to her work, she replied, I see no outward expression of internal disturbance, mental or otherwise. It strikes me that an unbiased opinion from an impartial observer might be to the effect that the amount of peace radiating from you at the present moment would call to mind the Hague Conference. That only goes to show what careful control I have over my nervous system, and the marvelous ability I have acquired in concealing the war of emotions raging within. Just here Ruth dropped one of her modeling tools, and Richard was obliged to resign his position of repose, where he had sat comfortably leaning back against the fence, with his hands clasped about his knees, to pick it up, for Ruth had in her lap a large wooden board which held her clay and a variety of tools. "'By Jove! You have just caught the spirit of the thing to a right smart degree, and no mistake!' he exclaimed, kneeling on one knee to replace the dropped tool on the board as he admired Ruth's work, a small bas-relief of Captain Frost's gateway, with its carved posts guarded by pink-blossoming Althea's, the straight, flower-bordered walk, and the beautiful doorway. "'The whole place looks just like Mrs. Frost and Mary, doesn't it?' asked Ruth. The captain's a dear, but somehow you don't feel that he's responsible for the physical aspect of the place. He's a grand man, but there's a stateliness, a dignity and refinement about his beautiful wife that one rarely sees. I do hope I shall become proficient enough to paint her in oils some day, not too far away. Of course Mrs. Frost accounts for the architecture of the house, for I imagine it's the only one of its kind on the whole cape. Miss Mary told me the other day all about the beginning of the captain's romantic courtship. What's that? Tell you so you can get points? Pooh, there's no such thing as romance nowadays. Dad says there's something out of joint in this generation. I suppose he knows. I don't bother my head about it she said with a tilt of her pointed chin. Well, this is how the captain met his lady. Ruth was busily working all the while she rattled on, and Richard now settled back again to his former position and lighted a cigarette. It seems that Mrs. Frost's father was a ship chandler, fitted out vessels with supplies, you know, for their long trips. One day the captain was in the store making purchases and preparing for a trip to the East Indies. He stood chatting with Mr. Palfrey, that was Mrs. Frost's father, who stooped to pick up a kitten they kept about the place. As he stood, a little pocket photograph case fell from his vest pocket to the floor, and Captain Frost hastened to pick it up for the older man. It had flown open, and two photographs were exposed to view, one a very beautiful young woman, the other obviously her mother." "'Pardon me, Mr. Palfrey,' said the captain, handing back the card-case to its owner, 
but those are wonderfully beautiful faces you are carrying about with you, sir. Mr. Palfrey opened the case and looked at them with pardonable pride. Yes, sir, said he, none lovelier, my wife and daughter, Captain Frost. Did you get a good look at them? He passed it back for a closer inspection. The young man studied one of the faces for some moments. Is she really as handsome as that? he asked, still holding the case in his hand as though loath to part with it. They are, replied Mr. Palfrey, with a twinkle in his eyes as he took back the precious case and returned it to his vest pocket. Shortly after the sailing of the Ariel, Mr. Palfrey received a letter from Captain Frost, mailed at New York, in which he confessed that the pictured face of the photograph case was ever before his mind, and asked if, knowing as Mr. Palfrey did all about his character, his ancestry, and his prospects, he would be willing that the captain should call on his daughter as soon as he returned, with a view to winning her love if possible. He begged for a reply to be mailed to some port I forget where. Mr. Palfrey stated in his reply that he certainly had no objection to the captain's calling upon his daughter, that he, personally, thought very highly of his friend Captain Frost, and if he succeeded in his suit, precious as his beloved daughter was, he felt she would be in worthy hands. He advised the captain not to be overconfident, as there were several already doing their best to win her heart, and he was bound to say in all fairness, however, that so far she had smiles for all alike, with no hint of special favor for any. Mr. Palfrey had, of course, showed the captain's letter to his daughter and acquainted her with his own reply. Being a man, Mr. Huntington, I suppose it would be quite impossible for you to imagine how her heart must have stood still for a second, when one day, months later, Mr. Palfrey came home and said, Molly, the Ariel cast anchor in the harbor this morning. Well, no, perhaps I can't, but being a man, I can jolly well realize what courage it took to walk up and ring the Palfrey's doorbell that evening. It must have been a brass knocker, Goosey, not a bell. So much the worse in its effect at such a psychological moment. The captain must have been something of a good looker himself. I should have liked to have seen them as bride and groom. I suppose he scoured the Indies for fitting gifts to bring home to his lady-to-be. That's what. Mary showed me some of the things. There, I'm through for today. One more morning will finish this. Richard sprang to his feet to relieve her of the board, which he promised to carry most carefully, and Ruth picked up the little camp-stool. "'Why don't girls wear that sort of thing oftener?' asked Richard, looking with appreciation at the pretty work-apron which protected Ruth's dainty white gown. "'It's mighty fetching, you know.' "'Thanks. But when, other than a similar occasion to the present one, would you have them wear it, pray?' Oh, well, I suppose it's because it has a domestic air that a fellow likes the look of it. Come along, urged Ruth. The captain always wants to see the progress of his clay doorway. We must go up and show it to him. Ship ahoy, she cried as they came in sight of the captain, tipped back in his favorite chair. Aye, aye, mate. Blows she fair today? 
sung out the captain, the front legs of his chair coming down with a thud. Let's get a look at her. He rose, slipped his glasses down from their perch on the top of his head to his nose, and peered through them with his sharp blue eyes. Now I want to know, Richard, if it isn't pretty slick, hey? He turned his beaming face first on Richard, and then toward Ruth, pride and pleasure writ large all over it. Mother will want to see it. Just lay it down on the table there while I go fetch her. Sit down, children. I'll be right back, he said as he entered the house. He returned shortly with his rosy-cheeked, white-haired lady, whom Ruth rose to meet, softly kissing the blooming cheeks. Oh, if I could only paint you, she sighed with a little despair in her young voice. Why, dearie, so you will one of these days. Your father tells me he's going to leave you in Boston for a course at the art school, and first thing we know you'll be famous. I may live to see my portrait hung on the line in the salon. Who knows? Now let's see the doorway. It's just fine, Ruthie, and we're as proud as can be, aren't we, William? Deed we are, mother, but look who's coming. From round the far corner of the house, in the direction of the kitchen, Danny was sauntering along, Peter Pan, as usual, rubbing about his legs and coaxing for a frolic. Today he seemed especially assertive, frequently rising on his hind legs and pushing his head under Danny's arm. Danny must have been visiting Eunice, said Ruth. How came he over here? Why, your father came over with him, Ruthie. The apparatus has arrived, which he sent to Boston for, in order to teach Mary to swim properly. My, how he did tease the captain for having a daughter who couldn't swim. The dear lady laughed softly in reminiscence of the jollying the captain received. Only jollying isn't a word she herself would have used. They're down on the float now, having the first lesson. Mary didn't want an audience, so they have gone in a little ahead of time, and they left Danny here. Talk about wanting to paint, Ruthie. I should think Danny would be a constant inspiration, for every time I look at him, it seems to me he's a picture. Every posture, every expression, seems lovelier than the last. Danny was drawing nearer. He wore a freshly laundered white piquet Russian suit with red sailor collar and belt. The straw sailor hat, bound with red ribbon, had fallen back on his shoulders, where it usually was, as a matter of fact, uncovering his glistening head. He made sturdy attempts to keep Peter in his proper place on the ground, for Peter's persistence seemed to be slightly annoying. "'Peter Pan, I'll swat you if you don't behave,' he threatened, in a tone intended to intimidate, but which failed to repulse Peter. "'Hi, Danny,' called Ruth. Danny stood still and looked at Ruth with a slightly hesitating, questioning little cock to his head. "'Well, kiddo, why don't you come along up?' inquired his sister. "'I'm comin', he drawled, and continued on his way but still with a little lack of his usual ease of manner. "'Peter seems to love you an awful lot today, Dannykins,' said Ruth. Danny looked at Peter with a frown of displeasure. "'Tain't me,' he replied dubiously. "'He wants my cigar.' 
"'Wants what?' exclaimed Ruth. Danny turned red, and his chubby hand went up in an attempt to cover some object protruding from his blouse pocket. There was a slight pause, and glances exchanged between all the others. "'Danny, dear, come to Auntie Frost and tell her where you got a cigar.' With a gesture inviting confidence, Mrs. Frost held her hands out to Danny, who went to her knees, still jealously guarding the object of interest. "'I... I took it out of the refrigerator, said Danny. Please, can't I keep it? Mrs. Frost looked puzzled. Let's see it, dearie, she suggested. Danny drew from his blouse pocket a long, slim, brown, cold-fried sausage and placed it in Mrs. Frost's hand. It's my cigar, he reaffirmed in a beseeching tone. Ruth stuffed a handkerchief in her mouth and fled precipitately through the nearest door. Richard dodged around the corner. The captain shook with silent laughter, and Mrs. Frost, in her wisdom, was left to deal with a situation which seemed to call for considerable argument and suggestion. End of chapter 16